You're listening to Trucking 101, surviving your first year with hosts Rick and Melissa Grimm. We'll talk about safety, managing your money, and real life out on the road. Our group has over 100 years of combined real-world driving experience. You've got questions, we've got answers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trucking 101, surviving your first year. My name is Rick. Beside me is my talented wife, Melissa. Our mission is to find and pass along knowledge to new drivers that will make them the safest drivers on the road and provide a firm stepping stone into a successful career. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, or a suggestion, press 1 and we'll get you on the show. We are here to answer your questions and provide an outlet for experienced drivers that want to share their knowledge. We can answer questions on living in the truck, managing money, safety, life on the road, compliance, and hours of service. Speaking of hours of service, we had a question on split brakes, and here tonight is our favorite DOT officer, Dale Howard. Dale has 23 years in law enforcement, seven years as a commercial vehicle enforcement, enforcer, enforcement. and uh, then he's with the uh, CVSA, uh, CVSA instructor. Hello, Dale. Hey. Hey, Rick, how are you doing? Doing well. Good to hear from you. Hey, you too. Glad uh, glad to uh, be on here tonight with you guys. Okay, yeah. so we had a, a guy that uh, was wanting to know how to work the split brakes, and we looked it up on the FMCSA and, and talked to you, and by the time we were all done, we were pretty confused about <laughs> it, so we were hoping you could straighten us out along with, <laughs> along with him and everybody else. Well, please don't don't feel bad about being all mixed up because the split split sleeper berth is the most horrible thing to enforce, and and enforcement operator or enforcement officers get it wrong. And you know, since I drive myself, I really go out of my way not to use it. And some of the carriers actually have company policy. Uh, advising their drivers not to do it just because it gets so open to interpretation from enforcement if it's not, you know, done properly. Actually, Snyder is uh, one that does that, right? That's a big company. Yes. I don't think they allow it. Yeah. Well, and with the e-logs, it uh, makes it a little bit better. Um, because you can, uh, you know, the uh, e-log uh, does everything for you. Right. And we've actually been running on the e-logs our entire careers, so anytime we've had to use a split break for a reason, we've just uh, relied on that. And I've only been surprised a couple of times by it where I thought I was going to get more hours, and it was back when I was first driving, and I think it was because I didn't go in the sleeper berth soon enough what changed everything around and messed me up. Yeah, and really it doesn't um yeah, everybody is kind of under the misconception that it's it's the holy grail of hours of service and it's going to save you for everything and the only time I would really even entertain its its use is, you know, if if that is going to be the only way you're going to make a delivery or a pickup. Right. Cuz it's uh you know, you really have to uh, 
you have to be really on your game and and uh, you know make sure that the day before you did this, you uh, you had your proper uh, ten hour break off because it's uh, uh, the way it's uh, written in legislation. You have to have eight consecutive hours in the sleeper berth. So you can you log your eight hours off. And the remaining two hours can either be taken before or after your eight-hour period. And you can either split that as off-duty for an hour, sleeper berth for an hour, or any combination as long as you've got two hours. And the driving time in the period immediately before and after each rest period, and here's the kicker, when added together does not exceed 11 hours. And that's where people get into trouble. And then uh, the 14-hour rule, which is a thorn in everybody's side, uh, is calculated from the end of the first two qualifying rest periods, or first of the two qualifying. So if you took your eight hours off in the sleeper berth, that's when your 14-hour clock starts. So you can... You know, it will benefit you, uh, you know, I guess if you just had to get somewhere. Okay, so here's the part that confused me when I was looking at it. Um, like, uh, as you know, we've been on electronic logs our entire career. We both started with Warner yep. and they were electronic. So we did, we've done a few split breaks, but they've all been with Qualcomm. So they, the Qualcomm did the calculation for us. Now, I can calculate one split break and then maybe do a, a full 10 hour from there. But when you start trying to run constantly on a split break, just doing eight hours, two hours, eight hours, two hours, that math made my eyes. Spin. <laughs> oh, and, and yeah, and, and they'll bleed because it yeah. just turns in, it turns into a real fiasco and for, for enforcement, you know, now I have to, Here's where I'm going to pull you around back, and I'm going to make you print off however many days of logs I want to see, and then I'm going to have to go back in and sit down and make sure that all the calculations are correct. And it's going to be very time-consuming, and again, the reason I stop you is never the reason I wrote a ticket. So it's just, it really puts you under the microscope, and yeah. I personally just never saw the benefit of it. I did it a couple of times, and you're right. My my head spins, my eyes bleed, and I get a I get a migraine. It's just, yeah, this is just not pleasant trucking. So it actually probably about the only thing, like you said, if you're trying to make, so you'd have to almost have a, a split day. Like you get up, you can't make your delivery. And but you've got to make a delivery the next morning, and you've only got you know eight hours or a little over eight hours to to sleep before you get in there, and you have to you have to do it. That would really be the only time that you would do it. And otherwise, Absolutely. you risk. Yeah, it's, a, a, yeah, it's you know that's the only time I have ever used it because it's uh, you know I I tried it for the sake of argument. Uh, you know, when they first or when they messed with the hours and, and did away with the, 
with the uh, four and four or five and five split. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I'm going to try this and and see if it works. And uh, yeah, boy, my head hurt and my eyes hurt. And I really didn't gain, um, you know, a bunch of miles. Yeah. So I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm, I will do this to make a delivery or to make a pickup. And then after I do that, then, yeah, I just go back to, to running the, uh, 10 hour break. Yeah. Now, if, uh, as an enforcement officer, if if a guy is doing the split break using the e logs, are you going to trust the the uh, Qualcomm to that it was right and and figure everything's uh, copacetic with, the, with what's going on with his logs? I may, um, you know, I may take it at its word, or you know, if it's a slow day, I might, you know, I might uh, <laughs> I might check the uh, the machine's calculations. Yeah, and and like I say, not a lot of officers truly understand that split sleeper berth, and all you have to do is mess up one. If you're running this constantly as your model, you know all you have to do is mess up once, and you're done. Yeah. Right. So your advice would be to not use it unless you absolutely have to, because it just puts you under the microscope if you're ever brought into a scale house. That. Yes, that's that's my advice in a nutshell. You know, use it if you absolutely have to, but boy, I sure don't see, as you guys experienced, you know, the benefit of, of trying to run it constantly because I don't really think you gain, you know, for the aggravation that, that it causes. Yeah, it seemed like when I first started driving, I heard about that, and I thought that might be a cool way, but I think I... I backed off of that real fast. Once I saw the math, yeah. I was just like, no. yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the- yeah, and that's yeah, and I I was spoiled because we had a we had a program uh, where we could just fill in the numbers, and uh, you know it was it was basically an Excel spreadsheet, and it did all the calculations and and spotted the violations and and yeah, I cheated and used that and thought, oh. Yeah. Even, even, even with that, my head hurts. So, and and I really, you know, I honestly didn't gain, um, you know, a significant amount of miles. So I couldn't see what the big attraction was. All right. Well, thank you very much for helping us out with that question. We really appreciate it. And you're gonna are you gonna oh, well, stay on the line here for a while? And in case we have any follow-up, you bet, yeah. Rick. Absolutely. Okay. It, it would be my pleasure. And uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. And, and I really appreciate what you guys are doing out there for the new drivers. It's uh, There's so much bad advice out there. And, and I'm so glad that, that you guys are here giving quality advice. Well, thank you. Thank you. And you're part of that quality advice. So we appreciate it. Okay. So uh, that was Dale Howard. Um, we actually did another show with him earlier in the in the podcast. It was called Working with Law Enforcement. That was a really good show. Uh, he goes through all about uh, pre-trips and roadside inspections and all kinds of great info. So if you want to know more about compliance, go back to letstruck.com slash audio road and look for the Working with Law Enforcement show. 
And right now, if you have a question, a comment, a topic, or a suggestion, press 1 and we'll get you on the show. Our topic tonight is bad driving habits. When is the best time to become a trainer? Ooh, very controversial. We're going to start off with uh, Russ Morgan. He has a little something to say about bad driving habits. Actually, I don't think Russ is here yet, but but Jason is. So we can bring Jason in and have him talk about Okay. training so we'll Jason on right now. Hi Jason. Hello, how you doing? Doing, doing well. well. Glad you could make it. Yeah, me too. It was it's been kind of a busy day for me today, so um glad we was able to get free and join the uh join the conversation tonight. So <laughs> all right. So the first thing we were going to talk about was bad driving habits, but uh, we're going to flip-flop that, and we're going to talk about training. So one of the big training. things that major carriers do to their new drivers is they really push them, you want to become a trainer, you'll get more miles, you'll make more money, and a lot of them let them train after three months of experience. So uh, what's oh your my. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure if I'm the perfect person to ask this. Uh, when I started driving, I actually didn't even get a trainer. I've never been <laughs> on, on the truck with a trainer. And so I kind of taught myself uh, for the most part uh, and uh, for getting my CDL. But um, after I've been out here, I'm sure I could have avoided a lot of issues if I'd have had a trainer um, and a lot of uh, hassle. And just things that you don't know that you have to just learn by trial and error or learn by uh, <laughs> a bad experience or or sometimes right. if you're quick enough or smart enough or <laughs> paying attention enough, which doesn't happen very often, uh, you can actually learn by just watching others <laughs> make a mistake yeah. and you can correct it before you make the same one. So right. uh, it – but as far as uh, training, I you know, I – I don't think uh, <laughs> it's really wise for someone to try to start training another driver with only three months of experience. Um, I know a lot of people try to do it, but uh, you know it, it's more—it's more than just shifting gears and learning how to double clutch and learning how to, uh, to you know, to, to turn a. a uh, 53 foot trailer or, or, or all of those things. I mean, those things are fairly uh, straightforward and just come with experience and come with uh, a little direction and a little guidance. But as far as actually handling the uh, things that a truck driver does, I mean, uh, it's, it sure would, it sure would have been a help to have someone who's done that before and to be able to go through and say, oh, okay, now, uh, now what do I do? And so, it, uh, you know, I don't think I would have been ready to train somebody as a truck driver, uh, or, or uh, I mean, maybe to operate the rig, yes, but but not as all the other things that goes into being a truck driver, things like that. It's uh, so I, <laughs> I uh, you talk to people about it, they get pretty controversial, and you get one side that says, well, it's. Uh, you know, if a guy feels that he's capable of doing it and he wants to uh, jump right in there and, and uh, train someone else, then then go right ahead. And on one side, I agree with that. And then on the other side, I agree with the, 
the folks that say, well, a guy like that sure ain't ready. And uh, it comes down more to an issue of whether, whether how are you going to enforce this? If we say a, a person has to have, uh, you know, six months, a year of experience, uh, you know, is that going to be enforced at the company level? Is that going to be enforced at uh, the DOT level? Uh, is the government going to get involved in this or FMCSA or uh, NTSB or any of the other alphabet uh, agencies you want to bring up? Um, you know, it, so it gets to both sides of it. Uh, and I'm of the opinion that we have way too much regulation already as it is in our industry. And I'm uh, definitely would fall on the side of, of uh, liberty and freedom and allow the individual to make, to make that choice. Right. However, I don't, I don't think yeah, it's real wise. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to give new drivers within their first year, some advice on, on, you know, what things they need to consider before they decide to start training. You know, I'm of the camp where everybody's different. And some guys are ready to train, you know, in that three months, and they've got a handle on it, and they can do it. Uh, and if you feel like you're one of those people, you can pick things up really quickly, then I say you, you go ahead and train. And then we've heard Kevin Rutherford, you know, say this all the time, you learn best by teaching. So if you want to become a more experienced driver yourself, the best thing to do would be to teach somebody else. So you should become a trainer. So you could think about that. Yeah, I agree with that side of the statement too. Um, you know, you it it really does help to try to teach someone else. Uh, th- you know, th- then I think some of the some of the things that helps in that is that you're thinking about it now. How would I explain what I'm doing to someone else? And then you you know you focus your mind on that and you you uh, come up with a way to do that and it helps teach you a little bit better how to how to um, to do whatever it is you're trying to teach. It's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, my <laughs> only caveat to that would be um, if you are one of those people that picks up things very quickly and you feel like you can train, and then there's the whole aspect of uh, learning through teaching. Um, the only thing I would say not to do is if you have not experienced a winner in the truck yet, do not make your first winner with you in your training. You need to have that winner under your belt by yourself first before you try to teach somebody else how to handle winter driving. Yeah, I would agree with that for the most part. Um, you do get in some situations where you've got a fellow that might have grown up driving in uh, in that type of conditions all the time in a regular vehicle. Um, um, he's going to have a lot better understanding of what needs to be done and might be able to uh, – to, to handle that and feel confident and, and feel safe and be able to do it properly. Uh, you know, even in, even in his first year, uh, you know, if he's used to driving on that, uh, otherwise, you know, with that, uh, in a, in a smaller vehicle, um, you know, if you've grown up around it all the time, that, that might be a little bit different, but, but I do agree exactly what you're saying. You know, you need to make sure that you, uh, have done that. It is a little different, uh, and if I mean if you if you grew up in Florida and spent your whole life there and uh, jump in a truck and now all of a sudden you're uh, they uh, say well why, uh, can you run Montana and Wyoming uh, <laughs> here in uh, November or February or something it's uh, 
that's going to be a little different. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I uh, actually just got a message from Dale. He wants to jump in with a comment, so we're going to bring Dale on here. Awesome. Hi, Dale. You're on. Hey, thanks. Um, since you're talking about winter driving, and, and it's a time of the year that really sucks, um, for your new entry-level drivers, uh, just throwing this out there, if you've never, ever chained up before uh, since we're getting close to September, now would be a good time to go back into your carrier, go over to the shop, and put on a set of tire chains. Because this is a skill you don't ever want to master halfway up a hill or at the bottom of a hill on the side <laughs> of the highway. It's, you know, oh, yeah. all of my... All of my near-death experiences have been on the side of the highway. And if you're on the driver's side chaining up a drive axle, you're in the kill zone. And that's not a good place to be while you're flipping them over and turning them around and, gosh, what do I hook up where? Practice when it's dry, it's warm, and get comfortable with it, and I hope you never, ever have to do it. Yeah, That's great advice, Dale. Thank you. And, and I'll butt out now. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to add, just let me know. We'll bring you back on. No, I, uh, you know, and you're, you're bang on for trainers. Um, it's uh, some guys are just natural instructors and do the hard work and research and, and really do a great job. And they may not be million mile drivers. And you might have a million mile driver that's kind of personality like a rock and, you know, wouldn't teach anybody anything. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a fine line, but uh, you guys are on the right track. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Dale. Thanks, Dale. Thanks. Okay. Uh, so we actually do have Russ Morgan on the line. He was going to tell a story about bad driving. But before we do that, we have a couple of other questions on the line. So I'm just going to go ahead and bring – we don't have a call screener tonight, so I'm just going to call out your area code. Uh, 909, you're on the air. Hello. 909? Can you hear us? Okay. Let me try that. Try a different one. Let's try 949. 949, you're on the air. Hello. 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 Yes, uh, you're on the air. Can you hear us? You know, I I think I'll press one. I don't know why you put me on the on the question. Oh, okay. No problem. No problem. We'll let you back and listen. Okay, so that one was an accident. Okay, so I think that was it. Nine zero nine. Four five. Okay, so yeah, that should be it. Uh, kind of weird without a call screener. Sorry, guys. Okay, so now we're going to bring on Russ, and he's going to tell a story about bad driving habits. Hey, Russ, how you doing? I'm good. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes, bad driving habits. So the other day I am uh, had one of those days. Anyway, so I'm, um, I'm just backed into the dock to get my trailer reloaded, and there's another guy going to back into the dock get his trailer reloaded. And these docks are so wide that you can literally open the doors in them. I mean, you know, they're really wide, got plenty of room in front. Anyway, so 
I'm dropping my trailer and doing all the stuff that they require. And the guy next to me just plows into the trailer that was next to him. Absolutely just knocks the fire out of it. <clears throat> anyway, so I go I go and I help him get in there, but I had to go tell him to roll his windows down. I was like, you know, if you'd roll that window down, you can stick your head out, and you can see the back of your trailer. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, anyway, so I had to tell him to roll his windows down. Anyway, finally get him in the deal, but I – you know, it scared the crap out of the people that were loading the trailer. They come running out, opened the door that he was backing into, uh, versus screaming at me because I'm sitting on the ground there. And I'm like, ah, that wasn't me. You know, I wouldn't, uh, but didn't even realize he had hit the trailer. He thought that it was me sliding my tandems with the big bone. But, uh-huh. you know, number one, stop. You know, then roll your window down, stick your head out the window if you've got, if you got the, your uh, tractor and trailer bent around real hard. I mean, it, it, you know, uh, it's it's not a hard concept. Uh, so uh, you know, and I see this you know on a regular basis of people you know backing in a hole and they'll hit the trailer next to them. I, and I don't mean just I don't mean scraping the side. I'm talking about the back of their trailer will hit the front of the uh, trailer that's next to where they're supposed to be backing into. Just aggravates yeah. the crap out of them. <laughs> Yeah, so I picked I picked up I picked up a trailer one time that uh, someone had done that too, and they smashed the uh, electrical connection. And the trailer was all loaded and everything, so you know I went to the the company I was picking up at. It was a uh, one of the LTL companies, and it was a preloaded trailer. I said, "Can you guys change it?" And they said, "No, you can't change that trailer. <laughs> You're stuck with it, man. Get a, get somebody out to fix it." You know, and there was nobody. It was the middle of the night. Nobody running to fix it. I had to go to a truck stop and buy a uh, an electrical connection for that. And and jury, I couldn't do it right. All I could do was get the one I had working and and. Uh, well, I would like to have got a hold of the guy that backed into that thing, I'll tell you. I remember that. That was a JT run. Yeah. Couldn't afford to stop and get it repaired. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I actually picked up a trailer like that the other day. Of course, I, I had the, uh, it was an empty trailer, and luckily I got to, uh, you know, I got to go past that and got to drop it. But, yeah, same yeah. thing. You know, they backed into it and just crushed the electrical box. And, I mean, just destroyed yeah. it. Destroyed it, you know. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, that was my rant. You know, get out and look and stick your head out the window, roll down the window, you know, because somebody may be hollering at you. You know, I mean, I was, you know, I was hollering at the guy, and, of course, when he hit the trailer, and he couldn't hear me. So, anyway, yeah, that that was my little rant for the evening. Okay. Well, thanks for your call, Russ, and uh, we'll let you get back here at the show, I know. We'll let you get back to the show, and and we'll talk to you later. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hang on, hang on. Okay. Hey, hey, you want to talk to Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I just wanted to say hi. You guys are doing hi, a great Kevin. job. Hi, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, we are having our technical difficulties again tonight, but uh, we're muscling through. Yeah. That's right. Just keep okay. on trucking. All right. Good talking to you. All right. Good stuff. Thanks. Okay, everybody. That was Kevin Rutherford. Anybody who doesn't know, uh, he's our leader. <laughs> the leader of our leader of our tribe. Yes, he's the he's the owner of Let's Truck, and he's the one that sets all these podcasts up, ours and uh, several others. Yep. So uh, he's a good guy. All right, uh, moving on. Okay, I want to remind everybody: if you have a question, a comment, or a topic, or a suggestion, and we'll get you on the show. We don't have a call screener tonight. Uh, so just press one, and I'll call out your area code. 
and uh, we'll get your question or whatever you got answered. Um, okay, so one of the one of our topics tonight was bad driving habits. Now, did we finish up with the uh, the training? Did you have the consensus that that really there isn't a right or a wrong no, there's not. training. It's it's just a, really a matter of the person. Really, what you want to think about before you become a trainer is can you train somebody and feel comfortable about sending them out on their own ready to face the world? I mean, uh, don't do it just for the extra miles and the extra money. Do it because you want to teach somebody. Yes, it's good that you'll make extra miles, um, and some people have to do it in their first year because the pay is so low, but take it seriously. You know, actually teach the students. Don't don't just let them drive the truck and not show them anything, and then send them out there, you know, completely unaware. So just if you're going to do it, take it seriously, please. Myself, I I was a trainer, and you know, I had been a trainer in in my previous careers. You know, I always was training somebody to do something, so I felt pretty comfortable. I didn't do it after three months. I didn't know I could do it after three months, or I probably would have. But uh, I, I was actually driving for about nine months before I started training. And it was a little bit odd, you know, to tell people that I was driving a truck less than a year and I was going to teach them how to do it. Uh, but, you know, I was able to help people. I did take it serious. I was able to communicate with them. And to most of the people that uh, that I trained, by the time uh, they get off my truck, they could back better than I could because I didn't get a good good trainer when I was uh, when I was training when I was being trained. But that made you focus even more yeah. on helping them. Yeah, making sure that they could back. I knew how to teach them how to back. I just wasn't very good at it. Still not very good at it, but I muddled through. So next thing we're going to talk about is the bad habits. You want to yes. go so through those things, more? The first part of our show that we wanted to talk about before everything got a little flip-flopped was bad driving habits. Everybody sees this out on the road. Four-wheelers and 18-wheelers, day cabs alike, anybody on the road has these habits. Uh, and our question tonight would be, are these habits from bad training, or is it just the way people drive because uh, nobody really knows how to drive? So, um, You've been listening to some mm-hmm. uh, a book and – uh, doing some research on this. Yeah. Um, and there does seem to be a consensus as to what's going on out here on the road. Yeah. So first I'm going to list all the bad habits just so we know what we're talking about. So we're talking about following too closely, speeding, speeding through construction zones, weaving back and forth. Everybody's seen a truck do this. They just back and forth in the lane, maybe sometimes in a little uh, – the lane, a little bit on the shoulder, you know, just who knows what they're doing. Rick and I were driving through Chattanooga once in a car, and there was an 18-wheeler in front of us, and he was literally weaving from, there was three lanes, and he was literally weaving from the right lane over the left lane, back and forth, just real slow like, just back and forth across the interstate. I have no idea what he was doing. We, We passed him. I looked at him. Possibly could have been on drugs. I don't know, but it's just it's just crazy. So moving on from that would be uh, chronic and aggressive lane changes. 
playing with your phone, tablet, or your radio, distracted driving, all under that topic, uh, not getting over or slowing down for vehicles on the side of the road. When there's a vehicle on the side of the road, it's very important, and it's a safe thing to do, to either get over in the other lane or to slow down at least 20 miles an hour slower than what you were already going. And uh, one thing that Rick likes to do is he likes to put his jigs on. So if he can't get over and he has to just slow down, he'll flip his jakes on. That way, whoever's on the side of the road will hear him and know that he's there and they won't get surprised. Parking on the side of the road. This is a horrible habit to get into. You can't just pull over on the side of the road to check your phone or check your map or check your Qualcomm or whatever it is you need to check. You feel like you're somehow being safe by pulling on the side of the road. You are not. That is the danger zone. You will get yourself in trouble by doing that. Dale said. Yeah. Don't want to be on the side of the road, especially next to the next to the road if you decide to get out or something like that. All right. If you need to stop, you need to do it at a rest area or a truck stop, a parking area, a way station, somewhere safe. Don't do it on the side of the road. This is my personal pet peeve. Not paying attention in a rest area, especially a small one. One example is a, you got a rest a small rest area that is parallel parking. You got trucks on the left side, truck on the right side, and there's a center lane to drive down. Now, if you if you have spaces, you know, within the trucks, you might have to do a parallel parking job to get into a space to, you know, take your half hour break or go to the bathroom or whatever you need to do. And that issue can be solved very easily if you're sitting in your truck on on one of the curbs and the truck in front of you leaves, pull forward. That way there's a bigger space for a guy to get into a parking space and he doesn't have to do a parallel parking job. Um, if you're on the end of the rest area and the guy in front of you leaves, pull forward so there's more room for people to drive into the rest area and, they, and you don't have to worry about getting hit from the back end. Another thing, rest area parking spaces have lines for a reason. You look, I'm talking about the rest areas with the angled parking. It's all lined out, okay? You pull into the parking space. You want your steer tire to be all the way to the end of the line in the front. Too many times I have seen guys park in a rest area. They're like four feet back from the line and their trailer is hanging out into the travel lane of the rest area. Not only are they blocking the travel lane, but they are now making impossible they are now making it impossible for me to pull into the space next to them. You know what I'm talking about, Rick. Right. Uh, and uh, there's a, a place in Kentucky, a way station, where when you, every time you drive in there, it, it's like the, the guys try and see how far back they can park. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, it, it can be really difficult to even get through that way station. And a lot of rest areas have the same problem. Where they, you know, they're just parked so poorly. I mean, we know you're tired when you pull in there, but you got to pay attention to what you're doing so that you don't stop other drivers from being able to stop and use the bathroom. I mean, most of the rest areas at night, you can't even get into to use the bathroom. 
let alone to park in to take your But it's not because they're full. It's because yeah. of the poor parking job. Right. I mean, be considered. If you're one of the guys that's pulling into the rest area late at night, you see all these guys with their trailers hanging out and you can't get into the space. Think about it that way. All you got to do is just look down. If your steer tire is not all the way up to the line, then you are not far enough forward. So pull all the way up to the end of the line. The lines are... I'm sure they had engineers paint the lines out so there'd be enough room for the trucks. Because if you do pull far enough forward, nobody will have any trouble pulling into the space next year. But don't pull too far forward either. The guy next to you might not be able to get out without taking your bumper off. Right. Use the lines. They're yeah. there for a reason. So if anybody has a question, a comment, a topic, a suggestion, press 1, and we'll get you on the show. No. Uh, one of the things we were talking about here was... Uh, was the com- chronic and aggressive lane changes. Mm-hmm. That's something when I first came out here uh, almost 11 years ago now, uh, you didn't really see trucks changing lanes a lot in traffic. That's totally different now. You go into Atlanta or Philadelphia or someplace like that, and the trucks are acting just like the four-wheelers. And they, our trucks are too big to be doing that kind of stuff. You need to be patient in traffic. Now you, Melissa, were watching a... Uh, uh, Mythbusters, mm-hmm. right, where we're talking about uh, changing lanes yeah. in order to get someplace faster. And, and what they come up with on that? Uh, it was an average of nine minutes faster if you're a lane changer, and it's not worth the stress. Yeah. So just stick with your lane. The traffic will go through. You will make it. You won't die. Just drive on through and stay in your lane. And then one last thing on this is the speeding and speeding through construction zones. I personally feel that when you speed in a big truck, you're asking for a ticket, and a ticket is going to affect your CDL, and your CDL is how you make money. We never speed. We usually drive under the speed limit. We absolutely do not speed through construction zones because a construction zone can turn into a reckless driving ticket. A reckless driving ticket can get you suspended for 30 days. A 30-day suspension for a truck driver is thousands of dollars in penalties, and it's just not worth it. If you speed all the time, you might want to consider going to one of those Gamblers Anonymous thing because you, whether you know it or not, are, are, are a gambler. You're gambling with your CDL and your livelihood every day when you're speeding and driving recklessly. Okay, actually, we have uh, somebody on the line sent me a message. I think he's going to have something to say about training, so we're going to bring the 704 area code on the line. Hey, you're on the air. Hello. This is Hello. William Hepler. Hi, William. How you doing? I just thought I'd say hey to, to the community. Uh, you guys, Some of you guys may know me from uh, the 9-plus miles per gallon group. I'm Tim Hepler's son. Okay. Oh, okay. And, I'm a, I'm a Swift trainer um, right now, owner-operator, lease owner-operator through Swift. And uh, I have, you know, quite a bit of knowledge if anybody wants to hear it or if you guys have any questions. Um, okay. Uh, main thing so how long have you... I've heard so much about lease purchase being bad, everything being so bad, every, every route I took was bad, so on and so forth. And I just want to say that I'm actually making quite a bit of money. Uh, me and my wife just went out and ate ribs. <laughs> so yeah. and I just bought my kid. She loves computer gaming. So I, I just bought her a $1,000 desk setup for her computer. So, I mean, I'm making quite a bit of money. Um, 
the main thing about approaching a lease owner operator thing is is you got to have the work ethic for it. And um, as far as training goes, you have to be patient with your student, and you have to make sure they do learn everything. So I've liked everything you've said so far as far as training goes. The thing is, when you train a student, you need to use keywords. Keywords are the key to training a student. For instance, uh, if a student needs to turn right or left, I make them yell out the word real estate. And, you know, that being, I need you to buy up all that real estate that's in front of you to make that turn. So every time they make a left or right turn, they yell out the word real estate for the first 50 hours they're with me. Yeah. I also make them call out every bridge, low bridge, and uh, mainly any money sign, I make them yell it out. That way they get used to looking at their signs because when you're a four-wheeler and you transfer to a truck, you're not really used to reading that many signs. Right. So, um, but like I said, I'm open to questions and anything you guys might want to ask me as being a uh, owner operator trainer. <laughs> I got a question about training. Um, what do you think about people that train after being uh, in the driver's seat for three months? Three months, maybe if they've had if they've grown up in the business like I guess I have. I felt like I was ready at three months, but. Honestly, I didn't start training until about six, seven months, and Swift won't let you train till after six months. So this three-month thing, that's pretty much a myth as far as Swift goes, and the other companies I'm not too sure about. I, I'm going from experience. Uh, Warner was our first carrier, and they allowed training after three months. Wow. That's yeah, that's uh, even scarier than my company, and my company is supposed to have the big reputation, but – I gotta say, I've been pretty happy with Swift, and Swift is—they've—they've they've given me a a great career. And I, you know, anybody that has anything bad to say about Swift, uh, hey, keep saying all you want. I'm I'm gonna eat ribs tonight. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we we have somebody that's in our group that helps us out with the podcast from time to time. Edward Prince, uh, he was with Swift for a long time before he uh, came over to Landstar. So it, it's right. all about um, personal experience and communication and uh, making sure you have your make your voice heard and, like you said, work ethic. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. and uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Every company has its successful drivers, and uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that I'm interested in, in hearing from you is, as a lease operator. I would think that the training is the difference between being able to, to make money and not make money. I know when I bought my truck when I was working with Warner, it you know my wages skyrocketed when I started training. And you know as an owner operator, they just I mean they just took off at that at that point there. And would that be fair to say that that, that uh, one of the reasons you're successful as a, a lease operator is because of the training aspect? It, it is true I do make a lot more money now that I'm training, but I honestly, I don't really make that much more than when I was solo because I take so much time off with my family. The reason why I wanted to get in the training is to have more time off with my family. So what I okay. do is I just bank up while I'm out, and then when it's time to go home, I got a nice little lump sum in the bank to get me through for about two weeks off and spend two weeks with my family, you know, taking them places, buying them things, and 
going out to eat, then I go back out with a student for another month, and then I come back home for another two weeks. Uh, beforehand, it was I'd, I'd go out for 28 days and then take about four or five days off at tops, and now I get to take two weeks off. So that's how that's the only difference. Uh, I didn't really take training really for the more money um, because I could stay out and make more money, but I chose it to be with my family instead. If you do what's what's important to you, that's for sure, and that right. The, the, the main the, thing the is, is you have to be a go getter, and you have to go out and get your loads. Don't sit and wait on a on a load. Go out, call whoever you got to call. Keep your wheels moving. That's that's the main thing when it, when it comes to OEM companies, is you got to call in and keep your wheels moving. Yeah. yeah. If you that's sit true and wait on the company, you won't get your money. Yeah. Okay, uh, William, thank you very much for calling in and for uh, talking to us tonight. Hopefully we can talk to you in the future. Uh, anytime, anytime. If you guys need me, uh, friend me on Facebook. I'll be more than happy to help out. I also have some uh, driving techniques and tips if anybody wants to learn how to drive for fuel mileage. Um, my truck averages anywhere from 9.6 to 2, 10 miles per gallon. So. Nice. With a nice. I would say nothing less we can help with some. <laughs> Okay, and also, uh, while you're, make sure you tell your trainer, trainees yeah. about our show so that they can, you know, this is a, a continuing education thing for the, for the new drivers. After they leave their trainer truck, it gives them somebody to talk to. I know when I was a trainer, I, you know, my, all my trainees had my phone number, and they could call me, you know, after the, the, the training was done, and I had a few that took advantage of that, and, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons that uh, that we started this podcast was so that we could help these guys. So make sure you t- tell your trainees and anybody else you see that needs help about our podcast. That's great. Again. Very commendable. I'm actually a part of the Swift Mentor Group, and I'll share your uh, I'll share your group with the Swift Mentor Group in Facebook. Awesome. Super. Awesome. Super. Awesome. All right. Thank Thanks, you guys, for doing what you do. Have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. And uh, the uh, Facebook page for our group, Trucking 101 on Audio Road, is just that. Just go to Facebook and search Trucking 101 on Audio Road, and you'll find us. You can contact us through that page, uh, and we record a new podcast every um, every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you're listening to a recording and you want to catch the live show, Saturday, every Saturday at 8 p.m., call 718-766-4878. And if you want a reminder on the podcast, text LISTEN to 99,000 in the U.S. and 76,000 in Canada. Okay, so I just wanted to mention a few things. Um, If you have a question, a comment, a topic, a suggestion, press will get you on the show. Don't let us whatever we're talking about to tell you whatever you have a question about press one we'll get you on the show that's right oh look at that got somebody question okay caller from the 618 you're on the air uh hi uh this is will um i had a question for you guys um i uh, used to be a trainer for prime and what scared me out of training was uh two near-death experiences um, you guys can hear me, right? Yeah, we can yeah. hear you. Okay, good. Um, 
I had the instance of a trainee that didn't really want to listen. Um, I had told her ahead of time, you know, if you're going to be going down at 6% grade, you know, wake me up. She didn't wake me up and almost lost the brakes on the truck going down at 6% grade. Uh, the other problem that happened was she didn't move over uh, when uh, in a construction zone where uh, the lane shifted to the left a little bit, and she ended up puncturing three tires on the tractor and one on the trailer. Wow. And uh, the only thing that I think kept the the truck from crashing for the most part was the tire monitoring system had woke me up. And I thought of my kind of dead sleep. I said, pull the truck over. I need to check the sensors. She would have kept driving. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it can definitely be uh, – uh, definitely training has the potential to be to be dangerous. And so, that again, that's why you shouldn't take it lightly when you go out there. If you're going to train, you, you need to be able to communicate with people. And and I think you really need to be able to recognize, you know, when you have a problem student like that that's not listening to what you're saying because, you know, they are, when they're driving, they've got your life in their hands. And <laughs> I, I was fortunate yep. when I when I was trained. I didn't uh, I didn't have anything like that, but I I certainly had a uh, couple of students that that scared the crap out of me a couple times, you know. And one <laughs> of them was exactly what you're talking about, you know, where she was going down Cabbage Hill in uh, Oregon, and uh, when we get down to the bottom, it was so scary for me. I I I told her I'm taking over driving. She goes, No, I have a couple of hours left. I said, No, you will never drive a truck with me in it again, period. You're done. You know? <laughs> you got her right off that truck. You know? And that, you I, know. I think the mistake I had made early on uh, when I had let her on the truck, I kind of figured that I'm a flatbed driver. Um, I'm not saying women can't flatbed, but she was kind of small. Um, she couldn't pick up my heavy tarps to put them on the trailer. She could put the lighter tarps on the trailer. She couldn't throw four-inch straps over anything taller than six feet high. Um, and I'm I'm a six-foot-five guy. I had yeah. to try to teach myself, how do I teach someone that isn't as big as me to do flatbed stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, when any, this is for everybody else. If you decide to become a trainer, trust your instincts. If you don't feel like that the trainee is a safe person and you don't feel comfortable going to sleep with them in the driver's seat, then don't. Get them off of your truck. Get a a different trainee, and and you'll be the better for it. I mean, a lot of companies have requirements where they require a certain amount of jump seat time where the trainer sits in the passenger seat to observe the trainee. And you could figure out in that jump seat time before you start running as a team, which a lot of companies do, whether or not they're going to be good. So just trust your instincts. And if you don't feel comfortable with them, then just say you don't feel comfortable with them and, and move on to the next trainee. Yeah, what I would say is never second-guess yourself. You think that person is a problem, don't even, don't even go on. Just get them off your truck. Yep. Yeah, I uh, made the mistake of listening to my fleet manager at the time, and he was like, oh, just give it another week or so. You know, you, she'll get used to the truck and whatnot, and that was the mistake on my part. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right, well, 
thank you very much for your call. Hope you'll keep listening to the show. And as we talk about things, you know, maybe you can uh, chime in. Chime in with uh, some words of wisdom as a trainer. All right. Thank you very much. Bye now. Okay. So uh, we just have a few minutes left in the show. We do have time to uh, answer some more questions or talk to anybody else that wants to talk to us. Uh, take some advice that anybody else wants to give out. So if you have any of that, press one, and we'll get you on the show. Uh, so just to close out the show, uh, when we started doing this show and we talked about bad driving habits, uh, it made me think about all drivers in general. And I had listened to a book recently called Traffic, and it talked about that. It's a great book. I put a link to the Audible uh, version on the Facebook page. Trucking 101 on Audio Road. So if you want to go check that out, uh, just go to the Facebook page and the link is there. Uh, speaking of that, I also put a link to the FMCSA uh, Hours of Service Guidelines. Just go to our Facebook page and if you wanted to check out the Hours of Service Guidelines and research the split break, go ahead and do that if uh, we didn't scare you off. <laughs> and uh, so the book Traffic, really interesting book. I would recommend it. I mean, anybody that drives for a living, I think, would be really interested in in this book. Just a couple of things that popped out at me. I'll give you a little teaser preview. Uh, we talked about chronic lane changing, okay? If you are one of those people that thinks that lane changing, like go with the faster lane, just keep moving, jumping back and forth like Frogger, is going to get you somewhere faster. They did a study uh, at the University of Berkeley, I think it was, uh, and they found out, yeah, they found out that the chronic lane changer only saves four minutes over an 80-mile drive. So it's not really worth it to do it. You're, You're better off just staying in your lane. It's safer, and there's not really a gain by changing lanes anyways. Uh, and when you're in your truck, okay, and you're seeing all these four-wheelers do all these stupid things, uh, when you read this book, you will, you will learn so much about four-wheelers and why they do what they do. It, it, it's incredibly interesting. When people are driving their cars and when guys are driving their trucks, guys and gals are driving their trucks, they view their car as an extension of themselves. So they take traffic personally. If they feel like that you cut them off or you're going too slow, they will do something aggressive towards you because somehow, even though you didn't do it to them, you did it near their car, so totally off limits. Um, And Dale Howard just sent me a message that lane changes increase the chance of accidents by 31%. So there you go there. The other thing I've also read the book uh, is that they found that people think they're good drivers and that that actually driving is just about too complicated for the human brain. Everybody in the senses that we have. Yeah, everybody overestimates their skill as a driver. The majority of people will claim that they are better than the average driver, which is you know, mathematically impossible. So that means that the majority of people overestimate their skill as a driver. So that's another thing to consider. Uh, when you're driving out here, don't give anybody the benefit of the doubt. Assume that they're going to do the worst because they probably will. And uh, let's see. 
Ah, another interesting thing from the book. One of the reasons why cars pull out in front of you, you're like, why is this car pulling out in front of me? Can't they see me? Yeah, they can see you, but they did another study, and they figured out that when people see a large object moving in motion, for some reason they think it's moving about half as slow as it actually is. So let's say if you're going down the road at 40 miles an hour and they pull out in front of you, that's because they think you were only going 20. It's some kind of weird perception with the human brain. Large vehicles, objects, whatever it is, they seem like they're going slower than they actually are. So they're like, oh, I can pull out. So that's why they do it. It's, it's really, oh, I hate to say it, but it's not their fault. It's, it's, it's driving is an exercise in optical illusion. I mean, you, you cannot trust your eyes when you're out there on the road, truck drivers included. Uh, and, and a lot of people think that they can trust their eyes, so they just go ahead and do, I'm a good driver, I'm going to go on and do my thing. They're not. And the problem is they don't know that they're not. Yeah. So you just have to be aware of the fact that people have no idea what they're doing, and you, you just got to watch them. You combine that with your own limitations as a human, a human driver, and uh, you need to really be careful out here in these big trucks. Yep, uh, another uh, thing that makes people drive more dangerously than uh, they have in the past is cars and roads are safer. And it, another, one of, another one of the studies in the book Traffic, they talked about how when people are in a dangerous situation, they actually are more cautious and therefore safer. So you got people out here with these nice wide roads and rumble strips and safe cars with a five-star crash rating. They think they're invincible. So they can do whatever they want, so they do do whatever they want. And a good example of that is NASCAR. Speeds have gone up in NASCAR. Accidents have gone up in NASCAR a crazy amount since NASCAR first got started. And it's directly linked to how much safer the cars and the tracks are. The cars are safer, roll bars, Hans um, device. Hans device. So the guys can crash the cars and and not get injured even. You right. Those guys and walk away from horrific crashes with no injuries, and so they they do things. And people are doing the same thing on the freeways. Yeah. But the NASCAR guys do not as fast, but it can yeah. be even more deadly because people on the freeways don't have helmets on. They don't yeah. have the Hans device. They don't have shoulder belts and and, and everything. Yeah, okay, so uh, that's what we wanted to cover. I want to appreciate I mean, I want to thank everybody for calling in. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can find all of our podcasts on letstruck.com slash audio road. If you have any questions, you can find us on Facebook. Search for Trucking 101 on Audio Road. Like our page and ask us a question there. You can also leave comments and topic suggestions. You can also reach us through Let's Truck at 855-800-FUEL or email support at letstruck.com. And we just want to mention the other podcasts that are on the Audio Road Network. Really good shows. Go check them out. Tuesday nights is Trucking with Authority, Kenny Long. Uh, that's at 7 p.m. Eastern. Wednesday nights, Rico Muhammad does Rates and Lanes, also at 7 p.m. Eastern, and tomorrow night, Sunday night, and every Sunday night, Mike Beckett and Kevin Beckett do Rolling Toe. Very funny show and educational. So for reminders on all the Audio Road Network shows, text LISTEN to 99000 in the U.S. 
and 76,000 in Canada. And we'd like to sign off with a quote from our favorite best-selling author, Love what you do enough to become excellent at it, otherwise you don't. Good night. We hope you'll all join us next week, Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time.